be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. This is a good morning and I hope that you are glad to be here in God's house. Today, as you know, is a red-letter day in the history of Emmanuel Congregation. For that reason, if you notice in the chance that we have the red hangings or the red parliaments, which symbolize love and joy. Today, we are celebrating the 97th anniversary of the founding of Emmanuel Congregation and the 53rd anniversary, as you know, of the dedication of our sanctuary. The word of God that I just read is very appropriate for this occasion. We find the psalmist saying, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. When his neighbors and his friends said to him, let's go to Jerusalem and let's go to the temple, the psalmist says, I was glad, I was happy, I was overjoyed, I was filled with delight. And so today on our anniversary Sunday, speaking to you and to me from the word of God, the psalmist says to us, see to it that you are glad to go to church. See to it that you are happy to be able to go to church. See to it that you are overjoyed. See to it that it's the mountaintop experience of the week in order to go to church. See that you like to go to church, that you love to go to church. I see to it, he says, that you go to church on tiptoe with delight. We may say to ourselves on anniversary Sunday, well, it's hard to believe that I am to see to it that I, because of gladness, go to church, that I like to go to church, that I love to go to church. And we may say to ourselves, I don't know whether I particularly like to go to church. We may say, what reason is there why I should be glad to go to God's house? Why it should be the mountaintop experience of the week for me that I should be happy to go to church? We may say, now I do go to church. And we may say to ourselves, I go out of a sense of duty. I go to church because I think it's my duty to go. And some of us may say, I go to church out of fear. If I miss three Sundays, I'm afraid that I may never go back again and I may lose everything that I have. And I may say to myself, I go to church also because if I don't go, I have a sense of guilt. I feel guilty for the rest of the day. But we may say, why should I be glad? Why should I go to church on tiptoe? The psalmist says, I was glad. I was overjoyed. I was happy to go to church. And we may say, why? What reason is there why I should be happy to go to church? And may I say the psalmist gives us a very good reason. He said, I was glad to go to church or I was glad to go into the temple because he said, it's the house of the Lord. And when today we say to ourselves, if I am to be glad and to be elated and overjoyed and just to bubble over to go to church, one good reason the psalmist says, because in church you meet your God. We meet our God here, don't we? We confront God. We stand in the presence of God. It's the house of the Lord. And could there be a better reason for being happy and on going to church than to come into church and to know here we stand in the presence of God? I don't know of any better reason for going to church and being elated, for allowing it to be the mountaintop experience of our week, than to come into church and to know that this is the house of the Lord. We stand in God's presence, and we may say to ourselves, 
does that mean that we ought to just be elated, that we ought to just bubble over in order to go to church because here we meet our God? And I certainly believe that it does because in the first place, let us be reminded of this, that here in church we meet our God who is a most wonderful God, more marvelous than you and I have ever dreamed possible. Oh, what a reason for being happy to go to church when we meet our God and when we take a look at him and we say, what kind of a God we really have? And here is where we meet him, do we not? Again, we say, well, what kind of a God do we have? What kind of a God do we worship? And what's so wonderful about him? Well, I find this most wonderful about God, that God in his word has revealed to us that he is a spirit. I can't see him. But he also tells me that he is one God and yet three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You may say, preacher, what's so wonderful that should cause us to be elated over this fact of the Trinity? Do you see something wonderful in that? You know, Daniel Webster was a very religious man, and we are told that he was coming from church one Sunday in Boston, Massachusetts, and he met an acquaintance of his who was an atheist. And the atheist looked at Daniel Webster and he said, there's a man that goes to a church that believes that three times one equals one. Of course, alluding to the Trinity. Daniel Webster looked at him, and Daniel Webster said, sir, he said, it is not given to you or to me to know the arithmetic of heaven. Yes, you and I know that on earth three times one equals three. But in heaven three times one equals one. And to me that's cause for relation because I look up to this kind of a God and I say, God, I don't understand you. You are beyond my mind. And because of the Trinity, you and I can say, I ought to come to church on tiptoe because I've got a God here who again is bigger than I am and I've got to look up to him. All other gods, men look down upon them because men have fashioned them. Here is a Trinitarian God that I don't understand and thus who assures me that he is the one and the only God. I see something marvelous in this God. Why you and I ought to really come to church on tiptoe, God says, he is an eternal God. That God is from everlasting to everlasting before the mountains had ever been brought forth. To me that means this, that if my God existed before the universe, then my God created this universe. And therefore, because he is the eternal God without beginning, he is the one that stands today as my personal God who has the whole wide world, the whole universe in the palm of his hand. And this means something to me. Here is the reason to shout and to be glad to come into God's house. God assures me that he has all power. He says, with me, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible. And that means that in your life and mine, we can say to ourselves, I thank God I've got a God where there isn't such a thing as luck. There is no such a thing as chance. There isn't such a thing as hard luck coming to me in my Christian life. If God has all power and this is my God, then I hear this in church, uh, that nothing comes except he allows it. Nothing comes into my life except God allows it or he sends it. Because God is not the God that's got to bow to some blind faith or to some blind luck or to some blind chance. I've got a God who says, all power is mine. I'm never up against a brick wall in your life. Nothing comes unless I allow it or I send it. That's something to shout about. And God tells me as I come into his church that he is a God who, again, knows everything. And that means to me in my Christian life that when I am so upset with cares that I can't even put them in words and I can only groan to God, that God understands my groans. And God tells me that he's a God not only of understanding, but he's a God of wisdom. And that means to me in my Christian experience that I come into God's house and I've got a God who, again, because he is perfect in wisdom, he never makes any mistakes in my life. 
Never one mistake. God does everything in your life and mine in the very best way, not second best, not third best, but only in the first best way because God is a God of perfect wisdom. Oh, when we see what a marvelous God we have, no wonder the psalmist says, you ought to go to church on tiptoe. You ought to say, this is the mountaintop experience of your life. God assures me that he is everywhere present. That means to me that he's with me every inch of the way. And he's with me every moment of the day. That there's never a second, there's never an inch of the way. But what God is with me, giving me strength. And this is something to shout about. This is something to be glad about. God tells me that he's a holy God. And that means that God never leads me into temptation. That whenever I sin, it's not that God did it. It's that I did it myself. That God was there calling to me giving me strength because God would never lead me to fall into sin and to fall away from him. A God again, this God that I find as I come into church and I meet him, he is a God who is a God who is righteous, he's fair. I know this, he tells me uh, that I mean just as much to him as any human being who is alive. That there is no one that he favors beyond me. That he has no favorites. That I'm just as important in his sight and so are you as any human being that ever lived. This ought to be something when I see this God who has talked to me in his word that I can say to myself, here is something to shout about. I'm glad to come. And then God assures me that he loves me. Oh, to have a God of love that in spite of my sins, in spite of my shortcomings, in spite of my weaknesses, that here in church I find that my God who reveals himself actually loves me. Oh, I couldn't hardly dream how God could love me. There's nothing why he should love me. There is nothing lovely about me, is there, about you? And yet here in church we hear that God loves us and that God aims for our eternal good. What a God. No wonder the psalmist says, I was glad. I just bubbled over with joy when they said, come on, let's go to the temple. Let's go to church. And our God is a God who is trustworthy. God assures me that I can trust him through thick and thin, that he'll never sell me short. He is most reliable. He is most dependable. And therefore, again, we say to ourselves, uh, what good reason do I have why uh, coming to church ought to be a mountaintop experience? It ought to be something where I, I say, thank God, today I can go to church. Why? Because I meet God here. And this God, therefore, assures me when I stand in his presence uh, that he who has the universe to take care of is concerned about me. He is concerned just as much about you. It assures me that there is no human being on earth that God is more concerned about than he is about me. And he tells you the same thing, doesn't he? And when you and I can come to church and we can say, this is my personal God, then we can say to ourselves, I'm going to ride it on my soul that I'm going to be happy. The church is a mountaintop experience. And on this anniversary Sunday, then we ought to say to ourselves, I'm, I'm glad to be here. This is the 97th anniversary of the founding of our congregation and the 53rd anniversary of the dedication of our sanctuary. And if I can say, God, it's good to be here. Uh, if this is a mountaintop experience, I'm glad and I'm elated. I'm on tiptoe. Then we look back for the moment and then we thank God for the blessings that God has given to this congregation. 1874, a little group, a handful of Lutherans got together and established the Emmanuel Congregation. They didn't have a church home. They worshipped in the basement of other churches who allowed them to get together there for the purpose of worship. The first pastor was the Reverend Martin Carl Hecht. And after he had served here for several years, he received a call to St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Dayton, Ohio, and he followed that call. And then there came the Reverend Louis Nicholas. 
he came out of the seminary and he served this congregation and then he received a call to St. John's Lutheran Church at Richmond, Indiana and he followed it. And then there came to, again, to be the pastor here of Emmanuel, the Reverend William Stellhorn, and he served for a number of years. And then he was elected to be the home uh, mission executive secretary of the old Giant Senate of Ohio, and he left the congregation. And then, as you know, you call the Reverend James W. Schillinger, who came, and in his time this church was dedicated. Ninety-seven years as a congregation First again, the first little building up on North State Street. The second church still standing over here on Columbia and on South Main Street. And then on this Sunday in the year 1918, it was a big day, wasn't it? You gathered for the last time over in the old church on Columbia Street and there were tears shed. And then you left that sanctuary and you walked down the street and you came up over here across Prospect Street and you walked up and you opened the doors and you came in here 53 years ago today and you sang the same song that we sang as we processed this morning, Open now thy gates of beauty, as Zion let me enter there. And you came into the new sanctuary. You say, I wonder why it was the second Sunday in September? Well, Reverend Schillinger told me one day why it was. It was on the 8th of September that he and his wife Mabel had been married. It was their wedding anniversary. And so this was that Sunday. I thank God as I look back, I knew these four men quite well. I knew Pastor Hecht. I started my ministry at Grace Lutheran Church at Eaton, Ohio. And Pastor Hecht had retired in Dayton. I attended his funeral. I knew him. I knew Reverend Nicholas when I was at Eaton, Ohio. He was at Richmond. And I recall sitting and talking to him when he was on his deathbed. When he said to me, he said, it's my hope and prayer that you will follow me as pastor here at St. John's at Richmond. But in the providence of God, I didn't follow him at his last place, but I did come to where he had started his ministry. I knew Reverend Stellhorn very well because he lived at the first house south of the seminary of Divinity Hall, and I knew him very well. And of course, you know that I knew Reverend Schillinger very, very well. These four men I have known. It was my privilege in life. And as we think back today, 53 years ago this Sunday, it was a great undertaking in the history of this church. And when you stood up this morning, you can see that the group is dwindling quite fast. Only one minister remains who was here that Sunday, and that is our own Reverend Merton, who again, he had just entered the ministry several years, just a young man. He was the first son of the congregation, he of the men of the cloth who were here 53 years ago, he alone remains. We thank God again for the past. We thank God that God blessed this congregation, and that's what we do today because we come into the church with a sense of joy. The psalmist says, I was glad, I was elated, I, I was just bubbling over with joy. And he asks that you and I, again, when we come into the sanctuary, uh, that way might come in on tiptoe uh, with a joyous spring in our walk uh, because, he said, for this reason... Here we meet our God and we may say, is that a good reason? I don't know of any better because in the second place, let's know this, that here in church we meet our God who has given us his wonderful word and this wonderful word that tells us about his wonderful son, Jesus Christ. We may say, why should I be elated? Why should I be overjoyed to come to church? But here we meet our God. Here he has given us his eternal word, hasn't he? And he has given us this word, and the key that unlocks this word is Jesus Christ. We come into his sanctuary conscious of the fact that we are sinners, conscious of the fact that you and I don't have one speck of righteousness to offer God for our eternal life. A God has 
told you and me as we look at our lives in the light of the Ten Commandments and God says I am the Almighty God walk before me and be thou perfect and God says I demand a 100% perfection in your life and yet God said if you have broken one law you have broken them all and you and I have looked at ourselves haven't we in the light of the Ten Commandments and you and I say I haven't always put God first therefore I scored a zero I don't have any righteousness to offer God God demands a 100% righteousness that I don't have I've taken God's name in vain I have this God's holy day. I have not always honored my parents. I have killed. I have had hatred in my heart against my fellow man. I don't have one iota of righteousness to offer God for my salvation. I have thought impure thoughts. I have been dishonest. I have lied. I haven't spoken God's truth in love. I have coveted. I've been envious of my neighbor. I've had all kinds of desires in my heart uh, which are against God and therefore we have said to ourselves, haven't we, with a sense of guilt and a sense of hopelessness, God demands a 100% righteousness from me for salvation, and I haven't got a one. God says that all my righteousnesses are as filthy rags, yet we come into church, don't we, on Sunday, and then we hear through God's eternal word about God's eternal Son. We are a wonderful thing that God is our Father and that God had a Son. Oh, to know that God is our Father. To me, this means something, that God's a personal God. Oh, I never get over the fact as a babe when I think of God the Father, even though God is the Spirit, I still picture him as an old man with a beard and with long flowing hair. You know, I wonder, as I look out today and again, long hair is so popular and the beards on our young men, I wonder if this is saying something to us. I wonder if they are seeking for that comfort of a personal God who is Father, who loves them. If this is it, I thank God for it. Maybe this is what men are seeking and what our young men are looking for. A personal God, but I find him here in church. To me, God is a personal God. He's my Father. God loves me. He is just as intimate. He is one that I can go to. And then God sent his Son into the world. And I find this good news in church that buoys up my spirit, and I hope you do too. So when I realize that I haven't got one iota of righteousness to offer God, that I'm lost and damned, but I can come into God's house and I hear the story of his son. The second person of the Trinity that came into the world and identified himself with us as a human being. He became a human being. God became flesh. Think of it. He became incarnate. The Virgin Mary offered a human being, a body and a soul, a human being without sin. And God the Son entered that human being, became Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he who was God-man went to the cross. And he obeyed God's law. He scored a 100% righteousness on the Ten Commandments. He never sinned. And thus he canceled my guilt for me. And I hear in church that when he went to the cross, he bore hell and damnation in my stead. And if he hadn't, I'd be lost and damned. That he scored a 100% righteousness for me. Haven't you heard it too? And he scored it for you too and for all men. And thus it's in church that I hear the glorious good news of that God the Father through Christ, he said, if you tell me you're sorry for your sins, if you put your faith in my Son Jesus Christ, I give you a 100% righteousness that exempts your soul from an eternity in hell and gives you eternal life and everlasting salvation. I don't know about you, but that's something to be elated about. That's something to walk into church and just sort of be on tiptoe, isn't it? No wonder the psalmist says, well, you'll see to it uh, that again, that the high spot of your week will be that you go into the sanctuary because here you meet your God and what a wonderful, marvelous God God is. And when I can say to my soul this morning, I'm glad to be in God's house, then I can begin to thank God also for the blessings which we still enjoy here at Emmanuel Lutheran Church.
Well, the call came to Reverend Schillinger, as you know, he was honored to be the district president of the Ohio District of the American Lutheran Church. And so he bid you farewell. And he was to be installed here, as you remember, on a Sunday night in the fall. And I recall driving from Eaton, coming up here, I sang in the Ohio District Pastor's Chorus. And I recall that just before the service began that Sunday night, Reverend Schillinger came up to me and he handed me something in an envelope and he said, this congregation had a meeting this morning and we have sent the call to you. And he said, I welcome you as my successor as the pastor of Emmanuel Congregation. May I say, when I walked down that aisle that night and I sat right over here and I sat there with fear and trembling. Yes, and I shed some tears, and I listened to the service, and I, again, I felt so humble, and I felt so inadequate, and I thought, oh God, uh, I don't think that I can handle this congregation, just having been in the ministry about uh, six years. But again, I accepted this call because I figured this is what God meant for me, and so I came to Marion then, just a young lad about... 31 years of age. And yet God continued to bless this congregation. In 1943 came the radio broadcast that God allowed us to go beyond the confines of this sanctuary that others might worship with us. Since 1943, over 28 years. And then as God blessed this congregation, then came the matter of the educational building. We needed room. This sanctuary, think of it, back in 1918, cost $73,000. Now we could hardly buy the stained glass windows for that amount. The educational building ran $250,000. Yet as a congregation, we said to ourselves, we are a teaching church. We are proclaiming the gospel, and we built the educational building, didn't we? And we paid for it. Well, then the matter of, as God blessed this congregation, we needed parking spaces. And we again bought these homes here on the west side of Prospect, and there was $100,000. And God continued to bless this church, and we went across the street and spent another $150,000. $250,000 in parking areas. There's nothing romantic about a parking lot, is there? But we have experienced that if you're a downtown church and you expect people to come to church, we've got to have a parking area. God bless this congregation when we can say to ourselves, here we are, again, human beings, fallible and sinful. Yet when we can come into church and we can come on tiptoe, we can say, God, it's good to be here because here I meet you. Then we can thank God uh, for the blessings that God bestowed upon this congregation. Oh, to come into church on, on tiptoe. We may say, is, what reason is there? Just because I, I come into the presence of God... Oh, to be sure, because in church, what a wonderful reason to just be elated and to say, this, this is the high spot of my week. I look forward to it. On Sunday, I can come into God's house. I can come here. I meet God. And oh, what a, what a wonderful God you and I meet, because here we meet our God, who through his wonderful Son has given us two wonderful sacraments. How about the two sacraments that we talk about? Uh, that again, you and I uh, see them observed and celebrated in church. Here's baptism. Oh, to know that in baptism. Remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and Jesus told him, you've got to be born again, Nicodemus. And then Jesus said, except a man be born of water and the Spirit. In other words, baptism, it's a sacrament. You say, what do you mean by that? 
A sacrament, we define it, it's a holy act. It was instituted by Christ. It brings us all the treasures of the gospel. It brings us forgiveness, life, and salvation. And it's always connected with some visible element. In baptism, it's water. That by means of water and the word of God, the Holy Spirit causes us to be born again. Think of the joy that we have that in church in baptism, little children who are born and conceived in sin are born again. Yes, it takes the place of circumcision, which occurred on the eighth day. The little Jewish boy didn't realize it, did he? But he became a child of the covenant. And even though our children may not realize, but in baptism they are born again. Paul says, here is a washing of regeneration. What a wonderful sacrament that our children, even though they are not conscious of it, are brought to a faith in Jesus Christ and are brought to life and salvation in him. This is a wonderful thing. And then Jesus gave us another sacrament, didn't he? On the night when he was betrayed, when he took lowly bread and wine, and he blessed them, and he said, Take and eat, this is my body, this is my blood. And Paul says, This bread conveys to us his body, and this wine conveys to us his blood. And we say to ourselves, Here are the visible elements of bread and wine, and I get his body and blood, that body and blood that was given and shed on the cross, that has brought forgiveness, deliverance from hell, and eternal life. This is the sacrifice so that when I come to Holy Communion, just as certain as I receive bread and wine, I know I have gotten his body and his blood, and I know I'm forgiven. I know I am delivered from hell. I know that I am saved if I have come sincerely, just as certain as I know I have received bread and wine. You know anything any more wonderful than that? When we come disconsolate and sin things heavy on us, and to know that we can come into God's house and here we meet him, and in the sacrament and again it will be celebrated this morning that we can stand as sinners and God continually given us the comfort here son I don't care how stinking dirty your sins are though your sins be as scarlet they shall be whiter than snow here is my body and my blood you're forgiven you are in grace you are saved these are the ultimates aren't they thank God that there's one place we can go where the ultimates of life are dealt with and that's in church this thing of living and dying, these are the ultimates. I'm going to die. What about eternity? What about beyond the grave? Here's the one place where you and I can come. We ought to come on tiptoe, ought we not? Because here is where the ultimates come. Here is where I can go out and say the hour has been filled with music. And when I can say to my soul this morning on anniversary Sunday, a soul, I want to rejoice. I want to be happy. I want to be lifted up. This is the mountaintop experience of life. Just come into the sanctuary. Here I meet God. Then we ought to, and then we're able to thank God and say, oh, the future looks bright. What about the future? Well, we're planning on putting an elevator in. And may I announce to you the elevator arrived last Friday. Some of you asked me, when will the elevator come? Well, it's here. It'll be ready just as soon as the men can install. You may say, why an elevator? Why? Because we have a number of members who are so glad and who are related to come into God's house that they can't climb stairs anymore. We have some who, because of their physical condition, they're not so old who can't climb stairs. And they long to come into the sanctuary. We have some who want to come in wheelchairs. And when that elevator's in, they're going to be able to come. And believe you me, we're going to have a space for them. Nobody, even with a wheelchair, can say he can't come. There will be no stairs to climb. Just, just a year ago, we... Again, we redecorated the sanctuary. We might worship God in the beauty of holiness. We're fixing up the windows that we might preserve the stained glass men. But because we, we want, to, want this to be churchly, we want to feel the presence of God, we put carpeting in. We put pew cushions in. And now again comes the 
elevator. Oh, we say, what about the promises of God? I may say again, as I look forward, 97 years, and we look forward. Reverend Hecht and Reverend Nicholas, Reverend Stellhorn, their ministries lasted 35 years for the three of them, or a little over 10 years apiece. I wonder if you realize we say 97 years, then come 62 years. Reverend Schillinger served you for 28 years. And I recall when he handed me the call that night, and I thought to myself, he's been here 28 years, and I was 31 years of age, and I thought, well, that man's been here just about as long as I've been alive. And I thought to myself, how could any minister ever stay that long? 28 years sounded like a very, very long time. And here I stand before you today, and when the 1st of November comes, it will have been 34 years that I have been your pastor. This is my 40th year in the ministry, my 40th ordination, 34 years. You realize that for the last two ministries, Reverend Schillinger's and mine, in 62 years of the 97, you have had only two ministers. Well, that is rather rare. That is rather unusual. Perhaps it'll never happen again. You may say, well, what about the future? I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm putting that in the hands of God even as I try to put other decisions in God's hand. God will... Let me know. But as far as the future of Emmanuel, well, I have a lot of prayers for you. I think, and I thought of this when I was in the Middle East. I was flying over the Mount Sinai Desert. When I looked down and I saw the mountains in the Sinai Desert, I thought of Moses, the great lawgiver, when he again spent 40 years in the desert. I thought of the time, you know, God spoke to Moses, remembered, out of the burning bush, but Moses had never seen God. Then you recall one day he said to God, God, let me see you face to face, will you? Just let me see what you look like. Well, of course, God is a spirit. And God told Moses there in the wilderness, he said, Moses, no man, he says, can see me face to face and live. If you saw my full glory, Moses, you'd die. But God says, I'll let you see some of it. So there was a cleft in the rock, you recall. And oh, when you see the Sinai Desert, you can see again how this could have... And God said, Moses, you get in that little opening. And then he said, I I'll pass by and I'll let you get a glimpse of my glory. And so Moses stood in the aperture of the rock and as God assumed human form for the moment, and as God walked by, he mercifully put his hand, you know, over Moses' face and God walked by. And Moses got a glimpse of the glory of God and he lived. He saw the glory of God as much as he could see. And this is my prayer for Emmanuel. I hope and pray the future is bright that again in all preaching that will ever take place here. The people will be able to come and catch a glimpse of the glory of God. And believe you me, if they can come, just get a glimpse of the glory of God and live, then I'm sure they're going to come on tiptoe. They're going to be elated. They're going to come rejoicing. They're going to continue to come in. They're going to be glad and to be happy. And when they catch a glimpse of God, to look up at him with joy and say, Oh God, how great thou art. How great thou art. How great thou art. That's my prayer. Amen.
the peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.